Thanks to Cryo Malt, supplying premium malt for 25 years. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. Good to be back. G'day, listeners. Good to have you back. Mate, sometimes you throw in a uh, pause at the intro for a reason. Was there a reason for that one? Or I caught you off guard? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. Working, we're, working beautifully. No, I just... Uh... <laughs> I don't always have something to throw in there. Oh, no. Oh, no, but you just went quiet. So, hey, uh, mate, how's your week been? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Yeah. A couple you, of nice uh, would be knee-deep in prepping for uh, Good Beer Week, no doubt. Yeah, there's a, a lot of that going on. And um, next week, the judging takes place for the Australian International Beer Awards, the 25th uh, year of the Australian International Beer Awards. Although beer beer awards in Australia have been going since uh, 1987, I think, was the first official one. But they became the Australian International Beer Awards in 1993, so 25 years ago, and then moved to their new home at the showgrounds uh, the year after that, where it's been ever since. So very honoured to be part of all that and um, a fairly large contingent of brewers from around the country, uh, around the region and around the world will be descending to try the greatest number of beers ever entered in the uh, Australian International Beer Awards, over 2,000 this year. So very exciting. Mate, it is very exciting. You and Curly are obviously back uh, for the second time together, third time separately. Uh, yes, yeah, hosting the, um, the awards presentation dinner on the Thursday of Good Beer Week. What's that, the 20th, I think, something like that. And that'll be huge as well, bigger and better than ever. Looking forward to it, not to mention all of your commitment to Gabs, and uh, we've got the Cryomalt Trade Lounge on the Wednesday with some discussion panels, so it's Good Beer Week, uh, and, and then the million other events, of course, so Good Beer Week is going to be huge. Now, Prop, you started to talk a little bit about some new beers you've tried this week. Yes, uh, I was lucky enough to, um, as a nice little link into both Gabs and Good Beer Week, the boys up at Watts River Brewing, Aaron and Ben, who we spoke to not long after they'd sort of started up, and I popped up to their brewery, which we, we spoke about a few episodes back, to spin the uh, the wheel of hops, the hop yes, wheel. Yes, we talked about that two episodes to, uh, ago. To plan their Gabs beer. Yeah, and uh, the boys were kind enough to sling some beers for my time and crack the, their uh, stout. And I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not a, the world's biggest stout fan. I, I do enjoy a stout, but I don't like them sort of too Guinnessy. I'll say, uh, that dry, astringent sort of note at the end. Uh, love it with food, particularly with dessert, but not so much just as a beer. Very chilly autumn Melbourne evening yesterday, and I was uh, cooking up a magnificent slow-cooked beef casserole because that's what you have in Melbourne in autumn. Um, autumn, uh, by the way, Matt, uh, just so that you know, it's that bit in between when it's not summer, but it's not yet winter. It's called a season. I know, I know you don't get them um, up your way in Queensland, but um, no, no, we, here, we don't uh, get those up here. Yeah, we have to travel. No, it's, uh, you have two seasons, don't you? Dry and wet. <laughs> Something like that. Pretty much. Um, yeah, so I had their stout and was so pleasantly surprised that I was moved to uh, snap a photo, as all the cool kids do, and post it on social media. So uh, shout out to the guys. That was a, a cracking brew. Yeah, and actually we might talk about stout when we get to the news um, section, but in the new beers, I actually was lucky enough to try the new core range beer from Weinstefan, which is a brewery that's very close to your heart, one of the few imported beers that you tend to drink with any frequency is the Weinstefan range. Yeah, yeah, I did see that it was uh, it was coming out. Tell us about it. Yeah, so it's the Crystal Weisenbach. Yeah, it was nice. It's an interesting style, and I'd love to find out a little bit more about why they've brought out this particular style and you know what it was. But it's made with a range of opal, smargid, emerald, and sapphire or sapphire hops. And it's a crystal wheat bock is the way it's described, and they're still talking up the German beer purity law. But they're 
bringing it much more into the craft space um, and talking about the hops, but it really wasn't hop forward. But yeah, no, look, it was it was a delightful beer. Mate, I don't know if there's much more to say about it. It was a very nice Crystal Weissenbach, very nicely balanced. Beautifully done and well described. So that was my new beer for the week. Now, Prof, getting into news. Quite a big week of news. James Atkinson's been back, who we heard from on the special edition that's going live today. But, mate, social media has been abuzz with a feel-good commercial from Heineken. Have you uh, copped it in your feed? Plenty. That's yes. (laughs) And uh, did you have any thoughts on it? Uh, Yeah, look, in one way, I think it just solidifies what I've always said, that, you know, there's no problem that can't be solved over a beer. The discussion usually comes up, you know, when beer and alcohol in general, but beer specifically is is being demonised for one thing or another, whether it's domestic violence or, you know, nightclub shenanigans and, you know, cost to the health system and and all that sort of thing. Whereas I've always been a firm believer that, you know, 99% of people who go out and and have a beer don't then go and punch a stranger in the back of the head or um, drive like an idiot or that sort of thing. So... This, to me, for um, for those who have seen it, they'll, they'll know what we mean. It's one of those feel-good commercials. And, and look, it's, it's probably come... The timing has been pretty good for Heineken, particularly off the back of Pepsi, which I, I guess tried to do a similar kind of thing and, and got it tits up pretty much, was the, the consensus. So a lot of people have, have sort of, I guess, promoted it based on the here's what they could have done kind of thing rather than highlighting what Heineken have done. What did you think? Uh, look, I can see those elements that you're talking about. I remember when Barack Obama had that issue with the policeman and the university lecturer and he invited them over for a beer. And that, to me, said much more powerfully because it was a real-world situation. I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm at risk of sounding cynical, the Heineken commercial is a Hallmark card written for people who think that they can change the world by hitting like on their browser. You know, it's feel good and pretty, but it's made cynical by a company that has no real interest in changing the world, just making you feel positive towards its beer brand. If that makes me feel cynical, you know, and, and it does, but I would just encourage people to Google Torches of Freedom and Edward Bernays to get a feeling for, for the wool that the advertising companies pulled over people's eyes. Yeah, look, I, I would be surprised if the version that, that you sent me uh, was a fairly, well, it was obviously the full version, and I would imagine in this day and age that a lot of people wouldn't see it through to the end, and you probably do need to to get the full impact of it but yeah look it's it's marketing isn't it? it's advertising it's professional bullshit but you know yeah if it sells and beers and if, if they can argue that well you know if you're going to argue over climate change or you know gender fluidity or whatever the you know the current topic is then uh, you might as well do it with our beer Matt, I, I agree, and it's pretty. I just can't see the whole uh, Arab-Israeli thing being solved over a beer, and that's the limitation of it. So, like the hang in there, kitty postcards. It's got a nice sentiment, but I don't think it actually achieves anything in in the real world. Um, moving on, one of the articles that James posted this week, and you may have seen it. Hops kills food, says Michelin star chef. Yeah, Daniel Burns, who will be featuring at Good Beer Week. And I think I've got a, uh, a session at Gab's up at Craft College with Daniel. So I've been doing a little bit of research. And, and yeah, look, very interesting sort of thoughts. I mean, I guess if you're going to have a, a successful restaurant in New York, of all places, then you've got to have something going for you. You've got to, obviously, he's got some credibility in that sphere. And look, I, I would argue that I've had some cracking hop beer matches. But for me, it's more that the big bold flavors particularly spicy sort of flavors i find that fighting fire with fire you know so rather than trying to put out a hot spicy dish with you know a, a crisp clean lager if you say i you know, see your big bold flavors and raise you i think sometimes you get a really interesting and yeah, look there's there's obviously that bit of palate fatigue and that sort of thing that can come from that but i think in moderation i would argue that some of those do work really well yeah, and the thing that I loved about this, and it was one of the things that was on our Facebook page that encouraged some really good 
discussion. It wasn't just, you know, oh, this guy's an idiot. There was a little bit of that, but there was some really good discussion and I'd encourage people to go see the Facebook page to see it. But it shows that when it comes to the subjective nature of enjoyment of food, we all have an opinion. And I got what he was saying and it's something that I've talked about in the past, including last week when we were talking to James Atkinson about, you know, a lot of people say hops and spice work really well, as you just did, and I think it can. I think as a rule, I find that too much fire in the dish has a magnifying impact on hops which if you love hops is a fantastic thing if you don't like that really aggressive hop it's not a great thing and i find that particularly in subtle dishes yeast and malt characters lend a much nicer balance yeah. to the dish whereas hops can completely railroad over the top but then again i found that the stout and food doesn't necessarily work because stout and cheese stout and beef stout and dessert can work really really nicely but i thought it was a really interesting article that inspired some really healthy debate yeah, exactly. And, and look, hopefully we'll be able to maybe grab 10 minutes with Daniel and perhaps get some feedback on uh, what he thinks of the Australian scene once he's had a chance to uh, immerse himself in it and share that with the listeners. But those who can get to Gab's or to the event at Stomping Ground, which I think is on the Monday night of Good Beer Week, Daniel's going to be matching some Stomping Ground beers to some incredibly magnificent desserts and dishes. Mm. Oh, it'll, it'll be wonderful. Well worth going to. Um, moving on, another story in your neck of the woods, Prof. Uh, Colonial Essendon, a craft brewery or a small brewery uh, having a big league sponsorship. Yeah, Ash Hazel posted a, a photo that I assumed at first must have been photoshopped very cleverly. Essendon's home game out at the Docklands Stadium in Melbourne and wrapped around, they've now got, uh, you know, on all three sort of levels, seating levels and the corporate level as well, I think, LED signage. And boom, up pops, you know, Colonial Brewing Co., I'm thinking, wow, that's what that that's a fair a fair grab, particularly since CUB is the is the sponsor of the or you know the beer partner of the of the AFL. But the fact that they're downgrading their involvement has sort of opened the door for Colonial to step in. And let's let's you know not mince words here. They're probably one of the few breweries who could afford to take advantage of an opportunity like that because you know they wouldn't be giving it away. And as Colonial have sort of said, well you know we're going to do it for this year, but that might be it. Uh, CUB will probably snap it back up again next year or, you know, certainly be able to to outbid them. But it'll be interesting to see. CUB, I guess, have had uh, a bit of form in this arena for dropping the ball, just to, to use a nice... I see what you did there, Prof. ...football analogy. Yes. Yeah, mate, look, I agree. I mean, not much more to say. I think it's interesting that the uh, Port Melbourne venue of Colonial is the official location for Essendon supporters to gather and watch the club's interstate matches, which is very cool. And also there's going to be a podcast. The uh, Friday footy panel podcast will be recorded at the brewery, which is nice to see. Very exciting to see brewers are starting to get to the small... Yeah inverted commas, small brewers are starting to get to the size that they can have that sort of presence. And it really shows that it's uh, starting to, dare I say, go mainstream. I guess the one thing, and it is probably a little bit of the age that we were grounded in our beer drinking and when we first got into craft beer or what we now call craft beer, you know, I'd always feel a little bit of cynicism whenever I got the releases from Forex that they're sponsoring Queensland in the state of origin. And so I think, well, is there a little bit of inconsistency if we're getting excited about this sort of sponsorship and we just sort of throw off at the other sponsorship i don't know prof do you have any thoughts on that no because i'm not quite sure what you mean uh well you know just oh so so what if they're sponsoring that's not a beer story but suddenly here because it's a craft brewer and suddenly it's a um with it yeah 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 well look it's probably significant in that it's unique i don't think before that a football club a professional football club has been associated under their own steam 
with a brewery. You know, the Australian cricket team, the New South Wales State of Origin team have had VB sponsorship, you know, sort of, I won't say forced it upon them, but, you know, as part of the bigger deal. But I think this is the first time that a, a club has actually actively sought a sponsorship with a brewery, which for me is, is is the groundbreaking thing because it's going to, in the past, yeah, beer's always been associated, you know, with, I guess, the other side of the fence within the crowd and within, you know, the guys at home, you know, getting together, you know, grab a couple of six packs and let's watch the footy. It's a great opportunity for craft, but it also, I think it's a great opportunity for the footballers to say, you know, this can be part of, a, of a, I guess, our corporate culture or our sporting culture. Be interesting to see where it goes. Mm. I know Cooper's got involved in the South Australian Football League about six years ago from memory with a sponsorship which was groundbreaking and they have been yeah but again I, yeah but i think that was oh well, they also sponsored paul mercurio's uh, dance company um but but that's different to you know a a team within a league choosing their own i guess so it's it's being associated with one yep. particular team rather than oh this isn't you know obviously the players don't drink coopers or the players don't drink forex or the players don't drink vb after the games because they're elite athletes but maybe now and look, great for that venue to be much better utilised than it ever has been before. That joint would absolutely heave and be just filled to the gunnels with vibe on a game night, I would think. You know, to get all the fans in there it would be something to see. Filled to the gunnels with vibe. That paints a uh, graphic picture for me, Prof. Okay. Um, no, no, no. It was just a very eloquent way of uh, describing. I know exactly what you're saying. The, the last one I wanted to talk about before we move on to our guest is, look, I'll just put out there a headline in the Telegraph that says, hipsters feel the pinch as cost of trendy beers set to soar. Now, it was actually a, an article in the English newspaper, The Telegraph, uh, talking about the, the increasing cost of hops. But it was more the fact that, you know, th- there has been a growing undercurrent or a backlash or just a yeah. mainstream media referring to craft beer as being trendy and craft beer drinkers as being hipsters. The article said nothing about that. It doesn't mention hipsters. It just talks about the popularity of craft beer and the growing cost of hops. But a headline writer in summarising it and trying to connote to people exactly what the story was about, decided to use hipsters and trendy beer. And my question to you, Prof, is it's less about the content, but, you know, is this perception of craft beer a problem for craft beer? I think it's a problem for what used to be the fourth estate. The, is it the fourth estate? The, you know, the, the esteemed profession that was journalism. I think it says more about that now that we think, okay, well, you know, here's a story. Nobody's actually going to read that unless... Let's put a big hook at the front and it gets comments, it gets shares, it gets whatever you've actually written disseminated, which I think is the shame. But do you think that that's what they were going for here or they just wanted to communicate that this is what we're talking about and it's people just associate hipsters and trendy craft beer with... Yeah, I think it's just... Oh, definitely lazy. But again, uh, we've talked in the past about, you know, yuppies. If you went back 20, 25 years ago, you know, polo shirts were yuppie wear. I mean, they're, they're deeply embedded in the culture now and people wear polo shirts without being labelled yuppies. But is there a, a divide between craft beer drinkers who are seen as hipsters or part of a subculture? And look, mate, you and I could not be further from hipsters. It's just one of those things. But No, as anyone who was at, uh, at last year's Brewers Hub and saw that beautiful charcoal knitted vest that you were wearing would attest to. That, that wasn't hipster, was it? And, and, no, that's unless... what I'm saying. It couldn't have been further from. Although, <laughs> well, although ironically, you know, this year round it might be, hey, do you know what we should all be wearing? Matt Kierkegaard a... knitted charcoal vests. But isn't that the whole? Isn't that the, the whole thing about being hipsters? Is you're so uncool, you're cool. 
okay. I think we're getting away from the point that I was trying to raise, you know, just sort of wondering. And, and I know that there are a whole lot of young beer drinkers, you know, like Alan of the time loves to call out these articles quite rightly and uh, point to them. But there does seem to be, if you like craft beer, then you might like kombucha. And there's a whole lot of things that go with that. You might have beards and tattoos. Is there this perception that it's only for those people, I guess, that could... Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I think the more that those sort of terms are kind of lazily attached to, to stereotypes weakens their impact. As if people read or believe or take too seriously, you know, 90% of what turns up in their Facebook feed or on their Twitter feed, I think this just kind of, it's another nail in the coffin. Of the media or for craft beer? No, not craft beer. No, craft beer. Onwards, upwards. Onwards, upwards. Okay. With whatever it gets called, you know, from now on. So perception, a broader societal perception of craft beer is for hipsters and trendies isn't a problem for craft beer longer term? Yeah, no, I think, look, certainly in Melbourne, there are so many more places now. And I popped into Mrs. Palmer's, which is a, a bit of a Melbourne institution, and they only have Victorian craft beer, you know, independent Victorian beers on tap. Went in there for a meeting last week and walking around, you know, through a few lanes and things like that. And I was surprised at the number of official Good Beer Week venue stickers on, you know, these places that I'd never heard of. I'm thinking, this is actually really getting some some traction. And you look in those places and maybe outside the CBD, there's that, you know, ring of postcode that is, uh, you know, for want of a better term, hipsterized. Is that the opposite of gentrification? Is there hipsterization? Hipsterization? I don't know. But um, I think the more range of beer, choice in beer spreads to, to different venues, the less it's seen overall as a hipster thing. Yeah, sure, there are some venues in Brunswick down here and in Newtown, I guess, in New South Wales and a few other places where yeah, you could be forgiven for thinking that they're the only people who drink craft beer, but I think overall that's not so. Yeah, no, I, I tend to think it's a generational thing. As I said, anyone under 30 is not really going to refer to craft beer as a hipster's drink. It's going to be people over 40 who are, tend to see it a little bit that way, but even they're dabbling in you know, some of the craft beers themselves. So, mate, we've got to get on and uh, have a chat to our guest. So today we're speaking to CEO, Chief Entertainment Officer at Burley Brewing, which last year celebrated its 10th birthday. So how about we get on and have a chat to Peter Fielding? Let's do that. Did you say Chief Entertainment Officer? That's what her business card says. Is that an actual title? That that Chief Entertainment Officer. Oh, there you go. No, that's cool. Let's ask Peter about that. Just so you know, Pete and I were just talking about your business card, which was CEO or Chief Entertainment Officer. Is that still how you refer to yourself? Uh, now it's the Chief freaking everything officer. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, official title CEO. <laughs> CEO, but uh, no, I remember it was yeah. always Chief Entertainment Officer. But uh, yeah. now, Peter, we, I mean, we're a little bit late to the party, but last year, Burley Brewing celebrated uh, 10 years, which I guess in the craft beer world almost makes, I won't say a dinosaur because that's got the wrong connotation, but you're certainly uh, the, the elder, one of the elder statesmen of the uh, craft brewing businesses. Look, I suppose it's kind of crazy to think that 10, 10 years in many ways, you know, I suppose it's a long time, but it's also not really at all. We still feel um, extremely young, to be honest. But yeah, certainly on the Gold Coast, we were paving the way and it's exciting to see that now the Gold Coast is actually becoming a little bit of a hub for craft breweries. So yeah, very different world from when we opened up 10 years ago. Well, so much has changed in, in when you say that because I remember when you opened, I don't think Burley had any taps on the Gold Coast because there was nowhere really into the craft beer space. You also had set yourself Dukeland, which was four hours north and four hours south of the brewery. Yeah. And I remember in the early days, that almost sort of locked you in to a footprint that wasn't quite ready for the products that you were making. Yeah, look, in, in a sense, um, although, you know, we really, we believed in it. 
So we just doggedly stuck at it. I remember, you know, it wasn't just that there weren't venues. The word craft beer or craft wasn't even something that was in the common vernacular. And I remember many times calling, you know, when we were building the brewery and in the early days, calling insurance companies or, you know, someone to set up a superannuation account or all those types of things. And, you know, I'd say the name Burley Brewing Company and I could almost anticipate the the reaction every time of being, oh, do you do coffee? (laughs) And we'd say, no, we make beer. Oh, really? Like it just was such a, in this little corner of the world at least, was really a, a unique thing. Thankfully, that has changed. Often I'll randomly call a company now and say Burley Brewing and they'll go, oh, 28 parallel. I love feel. <laughs> it's a very different experience. Thank goodness. But not, you know, not only was that not really a, a phrase that was known, I remember standing, because it was, you know, it was Brennan and me when we started and we we had come from the American craft brewing industry, which was obviously going very well. We had had a brewery over there. We'd told that to come back and do this. And not that, you know, we weren't naive in the sense that we, we knew the market was at a different place here and it was going to be tough. I don't know that we realised how tough. If we realised how tough, we may not have done it. That's probably a good thing. And I remember opening the doors when we, you know, the first brewery was ready to go and kind of having this real sense of where is everyone? Aren't they excited to have a brewery on the Gold Coast? And then, you know, Brennan and I kind of went, okay, we... There were those of us that were, but it was... Well, exactly. I I was just going to say, there were those of us that were, but uh, it was a very small club. That's right. You would have killed yourselves if you kind of had to keep us in business in your own right. But, um, you know, we we quickly realised we had to take it to the people kind of thing. And and one taste bud at a time became our mantra between Brennan and myself. And I remember standing in bottle shops on a Friday night. He'd be in some other bottle shop. We'd be calling each other. And kind of saying, you know, how many samples have you given out? It was it was literally so different at that time that people weren't confident taking a free beer um, when it came from a brewery that just wasn't, you know, something that they were intimately familiar with of, of one of the big brewers that had been around forever. It was really, looking back, it was really bizarre. And so I suppose in that sense, the, the change in 10 years is incredible in a short space of time. Um still hard but at least people know craft beer and craft brewing and you know they're willing to take a free beer from almost anyone these days so the world has certainly changed Now, stepping back before you became uh, a beer baron, you are a trained lawyer and you've uh, got an MBA. Was it always your desire to open a brewery or was it meeting Brennan that sort of sidetracked your other career aspirations? No, it didn't sidetrack them at all. It, it it actually gave them focus. So I always, always, well, the way I kind of felt it and, and knew what I wanted to do, it wasn't even the phrase wanted to create a business or, or open a business. I wanted to create something. It's just, I just always had this feeling that I wanted to create something that wasn't there before. And, you know, I guess that kind of manifests as, as a business in a sense, but everything that I did in terms of the study and, and, you know, going off to do an MBA and all of that, was all really about, I guess, developing the skills that I knew I'd need when eventually I figured out what it was that I was going to create. And and uh, I didn't really care. I wasn't passionate at that time about a a product or a you know I wasn't I wasn't good enough at anything to turn it into a business around the talent that I had. Couldn't paint, couldn't you know all those things. But I what I was passionate about was creating something. I knew I knew what it would feel like. I knew what it would be like to work in it. All that stuff just didn't know what it what it would be. And uh, so yeah certainly helped when Brennan and I met that we liked each other but very quickly after that it became clear that you know what he wanted to do and what I wanted to do went very well together and and we were able to really team up and support each other to do it. 
Now, we've spoken to Brendan in the past, and he obviously brewed in Hawaii. And from memory, that's where you guys met? Yes, that's where I was doing my MBA. And uh, I was meant to be studying, and I was at a party drinking beer or something. (laughs) But it was always your plan to come back to Australia to raise the kids. And Brennan was working at what was then the Oxford 152 Brew Pub in Bulimba, which was owned by ALH from memory. And when they decided that brewing wasn't for them, that gave Brennan the opportunity to to start the brewery. Was it a hard... Um, We we actually, we we started and and he left before they turned the, the brewery into ah, okay. Yeah, no, we, we our plan was well and truly in play. We um you know, I went to Hawaii thinking I was going for a year to do my MBA and then come home, but ended up staying for six years and yeah, coming home with a husband and two kids and having just sold a brewery. So that that really wasn't part of the details of the plan. But certainly the, the decision when we sold to come home and specifically to the Gold Coast to build a craft brewery, that was absolutely why we came back and that was that was the plan and uh, you know we took a little bit of time obviously to to settle back in fine-tune our our business planning yeah Brennan was working at Oxford 152 that I mean that timing was really quite fortuitous they were just starting to build that brewery when we came back so he helped actually put it in and get it going and I think it was October 2006 or something and um yeah, when he left there, I, I quit my job first, May 2006, and was um, 100% into uh, getting the brewery going. He joined me in October 2006, and yeah, there we were. We we, we couldn't kind of second guess ourselves then. We had no jobs, and we had to do it. Uh, was it a case that you were always wanted to set up a brewery on the Gold Coast, or did you always want to set up a brewery in southeast Queensland and looking around for? You know, doing the the classic marketing, looking for where there was a market, where there was a need. Yeah, combination, um, kind of everything at once. I think we we came back um, knowing that we wanted to be on the coast somewhere. We wanted to be in Queensland, and we really wanted to essentially do it for Queensland in a sense, because that you know, as you know that we talked about, there wasn't really anything going on here uh, in terms of craft beer. And that, yeah, so we spent we spent a little bit of time. We came back essentially to to Brisbane, bonked ourselves in Brisbane, and then um, uh, spent a bit of time on the Sunshine Coast, spent a bit of time on the Gold Coast. Um, I think realistically, deep down, we we probably knew that the Gold Coast was where we wanted to end up. But thankfully, our bit of you know research and looking at the market and so on. Um, I suppose helped support that that desire, and uh, everything pointed to to being down here. And then um, you know, Burley was then really a kind of a no-brainer from a couple of perspectives. So I had remembered when we were engaged, we were still living in Hawaii, but we were back here, and Brennan stood in the middle of Burley Beach and just kind of took a big breath and looked out at the ocean and went, "Yeah, I reckon I could live here." And I think that's a big statement for someone from Hawaii. So I think I'd tucked that away in my memory bank. But also, Burley just felt like a place that um, a craft brewery really suited. It just, you know, we can, as you know, a big part of what we do and then what a lot of craft brewers do is being a big, a, an active part of the community and, and kind of meaningful in the community. And um, Burley still feels like a bit of a village um, in many ways, but we have the luxury of having access to essentially everything that a big city has. And so it just, you know, it all, all, a, bunch, a, bunch, a whole bunch of different things all came together and, and uh this is where we decided to do it. Then we had to look for a building, of course, which wasn't simple. The building that you've just recently outgrown. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And then we had to look for it, look for one again. It still wasn't simple. <laughs> 
the, the industry seems to have changed quite a bit over the last, you know, 10 years since, since you opened because you set up in an industrial estate and you started doing your Friday night. How, how quickly did you start doing your Friday night or once a month brew sessions that it got people into the pub? Uh, we started that in a sense before we opened. In the months that we were open, there was a radio campaign going on. That's, it's actually an, it's an annual campaign on the Gold Coast. It's called Give Me Five for Kids and it's a fundraiser for the Gold Coast Kids Hospitals. And they were looking for money can't buy experiences that they could auction off. And we thought, well, we're a brewery that's not even open yet. So to have a party in our brewery that's not even open yet, it's probably money can't buy experience. And we, we offered them a, a party for, I don't even remember, 20, 40 people, whatever it was, in this brewery that hadn't opened yet. And it was great. It was a great success. Raised a lot of money. And it, you know, obviously was a way to get our, our name out there as well. And, and pretty much from that point onwards, we realized this is a really awesome thing to be doing and, and let's um, you know build a model around it. And so... That's what we did. First Friday of every month is how it started out, and and uh, all the go to a different community group or sporting club or just somewhere in the local community that we thought out a little bit could make it in. Oh, so sorry, you you just uh, trailed off into a little bit of static. Cool. Peter, over the last 10 years, a lot of the breweries that have followed in your footsteps have had that retail component as a central part of their offering, and including yourselves to an extent uh, since you opened your new brewery just up the road from the original brewery, which has a beautiful space that you can open as a retail. Is that something you think is increasingly important or has been a big change with the brew pub uh, model um, over the last 10 years? Yeah, look, I, I think that there's so many structures of breweries and, and, and brewing businesses around um, that obviously depend on a great many things, part obviously being the vision of the owners or managers, but also where they are, what market they're targeting, whether they're wanting to remain very local, whether they're wanting to, you know, expand nationally, all kinds of things. And so there's, I think there's a lot of factors to consider in it. For us, we see it as a very important way for people to be able to come and engage with us engage with our brand. I mean, one of the massive differences between us and a global brewer is that you can come and hang out, <laughs> get to know us, see how it's made. Everything's, you know, totally within view of all the public. We come and chat to a brewer and really just absorb and be a part of who we are. And so for us, you know, we want people to experience that. It, and it seems like it would be um, silly if we didn't provide an opportunity for that. Again, for us in our business model, that retail space is not a core part of our business. Fundamentally, we're a, a brewer that produces and packages into bottles and kegs and distributes but having that opportunity for a direct customer engagement whether with the drinking customer or the venues that stock our products so they can come and get to know it better as well you know in our model it's vitally important to do that as I say it's not it's not open like a regular bar or restaurant hours it's still very limited but it's opened I suppose enough to serve that purpose that we seek from it. Over the last 10 years that Burley's been operating, we've seen a whole raft of breweries and there's been a lot that have really modelled themselves or really uh, put themselves in that edgy, I guess any word that I use could be a little bit uh, problematic, but you know, there's a, a cool and edgy and punk words that a lot of people are using or they're, they're sort of going for that edge. And I've always had the feeling that that's never the playground that Burley wanted to play in. You, you were always a little bit more broader focused. Yeah, I mean, look, look at Brennan and me. We're not exactly edgy, so <laughs> it would have felt a bit fake. That's okay. You're talking. 
<laughs> it would have felt a bit fake um, to try and pretend to be that. And I, look, you know, as much as it's probably corny or whatever, you know, Burley Brewing truly is an extension of us. And even maybe despite ourselves, it ends up being an extension of us, even when, no, you know, maybe it shouldn't be. But there's the business perspective, there's the creative brewer perspective. There's also the change in the marketplace. I think if we had opened 10 years ago as, you know, a really pointy end, pushing the limits of flavours, alcohol percentages, even branding, I think we would have scared people even more than, you know, the scary thought of them drinking something from not a global brewer at the time. So I, I don't think it would have been the right thing to do from a business perspective. So that, that certainly informed a way that we approached the market. But, you know, genuinely, we like to brew styles of beer that are enjoyable to drink and that, that do have, you know, somewhat broad appeal. Obviously, some are broader than than others. And we just, our goal in doing them is just to make, try and make them the absolute best version of that style that, that we can. And then I suppose we, we had the problem of just really always being pushed against our capacity. So even if we wanted to play around a little bit, we didn't have a lot of time and space for doing that. We did, you might remember over the years, do some limited release beers that were intended to be you know, a little bit more or a little bit less um, normal or, or typical what what people would have expected from us to put out in limited release. But even then, you know, some of that was was a hard sell in the early days. But now we do have the, the luxury of a little bit of space and time within the team to be, you know, there's, there's that many styles of beer, as you know. Um, so we, we have the space now to be doing a little bit of that. And, and that's another way that we use our tap house is to put small batches. We've now got a pilot plant, put small batches through the tap house, there's usually two or three beers on there that aren't part of our core lineup. You know, it keeps things interesting for people, people who like our beers and like to come and try what we've been playing around with this month kind of thing. But even then, you struggle to find us doing something that's really pushing the flavour and alcohol level boundaries. We, we, we kind of, I don't know, we're fairly stick within. I don't even know how to describe it to us because it's not, you know, it's not mainstream for sure and it's not... Um, maybe you call it specialty craft or something as opposed to the real, really uh, adventurous uh, kind of stuff, you know, whether it's box, chocolate porters, um, Dunkelweizens, whatever it might be. It's it's, you know, it's still very hard to get regular shelf space uh, or menu space for beers like that in Australia. And so, but now having the opportunity to do them in smaller batches and, and put them through the tap house, it's really exciting to um, to see people discover that end of the spectrum because it's not easy to find it and it's it's hard to even use words because words are so laden that you know even just to say well we're mainstream craft yeah. as opposed to pointy end <laughs> exactly. craft has, has all the con- connotations but yeah, I, guess, right. I guess you've also um I, I think unique in the sense that you're a craft brewery an independent craft brewery that has brought out a low carb beer or in your case a no carb beer and and speaking personally when when you brought that out you know seven eight years ago when uh, i think i was a lot more invested in notions of what craft was yeah. it seemed like an anathema in the space what prompted you guys to do that oh look it surprised us too <laughs> it that was a customer driven thing so when we you know did start getting people through the brewery and we were Brennan we'd both be there doing tours every Saturday to, to start to get people through and to, to, to have people hear about what we were doing and why we were doing it and what it was all about one of the most common things in the early days customer feedback was, oh, do you have any low-carb beers? And we said, oh, no, we've got... And at the time, we had a pale ale, we had a premium lager, and we had a mid-strength lager. 
No, these are the three beers we've got. Oh, well, no, I only drink low carb. <laughs> so, it, and then, you know, people would say, oh, can you try the low carb? And again, it's maybe a reflection of where the market was at that time. We really went, you know what, we can, we're just, we're going to have to try and do one. But we wanted to do one using craft or traditional, whatever you want to call all those words. All these words are hard now, but craft ingredients uh, and brewed, you know, the way we wanted to brew it. So it actually took us about a year of doing trials, sending the beers off site to be analysed, blah, 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 blah. Eventually we got there. But yeah, we were, I mean, it's turned into to be a, a great part of our business, but it's not something we would have done if customers hadn't asked for it. How important was it to, uh, in the early days of the brand before you really got the much broader distribution that you've got now, was it an anchor beer for you and, and, and was that an important in your growth? Look, I think it, it helped. What it helped do was get our name out there for sure. So it, it you know it did a job, I suppose, of certainly of selling an amount of beer, but I think even more than that, it started to help build a profile for us that we probably couldn't have done through our own, you know, very limited promotional capabilities. So in that sense, yeah, it was, um, I think, an important, somewhat unintended step in the journey. You opened your new, your new brewery last year and you've already expanded it a couple of times uh, since uh, when I was last down a couple of months ago. How hard has that growing process been? We're increasingly seeing brewers talking about, you know, just managing growth and funding growth that are becoming big problems for what were once small breweries. How have you guys managed that? Yeah, look, it's, it is challenging but you know part of our and we were very clear on this from the very early days that we wanted to brew all our own beers so if we wanted to grow we had to be willing to invest in uh, more equipment more people and to be able to to do all that ourselves so it's been a process to manage for sure but I think we've planned for it uh, because we knew we wanted to do it there was never a question otherwise and yeah, look, there's obviously there's there's the funding of it, there's the planning, there's the the sourcing, the equipment, although there are certainly a lot more options now than even, you know, 10 years ago for all kinds of equipment. The, the thing I think that has made it not easy, but it has, has made it manageable is we, we did take the approach in the very early days that we were going to try and put systems in place, and I don't mean brewing systems, I mean business systems and people systems in place that would allow us to grow and and you know every time we started to do something we'd kind of go you know what's this going to look like when I'm not the one doing it or when Brennan's not the one doing it or if we have to put more through more people into this process how will that work and I think that's been a really key part of of making the process manageable in some ways the difficult part is knowing when to stop (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because you know you can't a, I don't want to, but you know, our goal has never been we want to be the biggest. There's never been a, a, a part of what we want to do. We want to be able to do what we do the way we do it. And when that's threatened, then that you know that kind of goes beyond where we want to be. But you know, the the, the dilemma of okay, well, it, it feels like we need to put in more equipment because of the trajectory we're on. But you know, it's a long lead time, probably usually at least six months to do anything significant in a brewery, at least. And you know, will will that level of business still be there in six months time and and you know what if it's not they're they're the those are difficult i think um and 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 particularly in a business that you own yourselves you know emotional decisions to to be looking at and and trying to um to get your head around it's probably the the most difficult part does a brewery have to grow to survive you know can you can you ever reach a stage where you sort of think well this is a good size we can stay here we can feed our families, we can pay our staff and hmm. we can get a nice return on our investment. Or if you reach that stage where you just stay static, 
is that going to kill the business and you need to keep growing to survive? Yeah, it's, it's a really hard question and it's the one we faced when we decided to move. We could have certainly at that point said, you know, you know what, we're, this is great business, great people and, you know, if we can just keep them all in really good jobs and keep keep this how it is on the one hand, that was literally what we, you know, that was an option. Um, but yeah, the risk was by trying to put a lid on it, would we somehow snuff it out? Uh, and that, that was the fear. I certainly hope that at some point we'll know, okay, this this is about right for now, you know. How how you know that, that's, that's, that's a hard, hard question. I don't have the answer, but that's definitely the, it's the right question. I don't have the answer. <laughs> and this isn't loaded, but you know, do, do you have an exit strategy? You and Brennan yeah. um, have built the business. You're employed in it now. Is the hope to pass it on to your kids? Do you, I, um, sale, you know, selling it at one stage and you know, when it comes time for Brennan to surf full-time and you to horse ride full-time, uh, will you sell the business? Or what is the exit strategy? Well, look, ours is not an exit strategy. It's a long-term strategy. Sorry, yeah, and, sorry that's probably and, the better way of saying Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that is certainly for as, as long as we're as passionate about it as we are now, we want to stay in it and keep, keep doing what we're doing. We didn't build it to sell it. We didn't build it to, as I said before, become, you know, the biggest or whatever. We, we built it because it was what we really wanted to do. And we're still loving that process. So... You know, I suppose the ideal in that is if we can remove ourselves a little bit and actually get a bit of time, <laughs> then that's the long-term strategy for us at the moment is to be able to, you know, have, have a sustainable, solid business with great people in it that enables us to um, step away a little bit, not not to go and sit on our butts in a resort. Neither of us could manage and could imagine anything worse, but to be able to be out there and, and hopefully um, creating new ideas and... and uh, adjusting visions and things for the future but yeah we're very happy with the the track we're on at the moment just before we let you go and it's been great to chat but looking back over the last you know 11 years now if there was one thing that you wish you could go back and change uh, or do differently can you isolate one thing that you really wish you could go back and change or you would do if you're starting again um wow (laughs) oh I don't, I don't look that the only thing that really comes to mind, I'm sure if I sat and thought about it for a while, I could probably think of other things. The thing that, that comes to mind that I think I have felt over the years is probably there were times when I was a bit cautious in putting additional people on, which meant we, you know, there's that I remember saying plenty of times, oh, I wish I could just employ half a person because I know I need someone, but I can't quite afford them yet. But, you know, if I don't, then I've just got to keep doing it. And certainly I think there were times when we probably did delay a little bit. I, pro- I think probably understandably <laughs> when you look at the rational uh, decision-making process around it. But now looking back, and, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, I feel like if we'd done some of, taken some of those steps earlier, we perhaps would have had a smoother ride in some cases without Brennan and, and uh, myself being quite so overrun <laughs> sorry it's a bit of a, a bit of a long answer but that, that's kind of really I think looking back if I was to, and I've given that advice to people in the past just in recent times when they've said you know I think I need to do this that other thing but in terms of people I um I'm one to pretty much say now if you think you're going to need them really soon just put them on because then they've got the opportunity to actually make a difference sooner and you know for if you believe you're going to need them jump and do it 
There you go. Well, Peter, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. So congratulations on everything that you and Brennan have achieved and the, and the whole Burley team have achieved. And hopefully, uh, we'll, are you going to be down in Good Beer Week? Will we get the chance to catch up? Yeah, I, I will be, actually. And I think I'll be on a panel down there that you're, I think, are you oh, Of course, the, yes, yeah. Yeah, of course. We're going to be talking about a lot of uh, the, the the future of craft beer and your capacity Industry as... Industry uh, skills and... That, that's it, yes. Uh, yes, so it'll be great to have you down there. Yeah. Looking forward to that. So, uh, sorry, I should have... Uh, yeah. I wasn't quite in that space yet. That's two weeks away. No, <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, I don't, I've got to think about where I'm going to be tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it's like, isn't it? But listen, you, you've been around in the beer space as long as we have. So, you know, thank you back because, you know, you remember those early days and, and uh, it's been a journey really has it certainly has and i'm you know yeah so we, we can talk about a lot of that on the uh, on the panel during good beer week <laughs> peter thank you very much for your time and uh, yeah look forward to catching up wonderful okay thanks so much matt in the garden what a garden brews news is made possible by brew pack australia's number one craft contract brewer with over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Oh, Prof, uh, that, that was Peter Fielding, and I should let everyone know that unfortunately we'd had some technical problems in getting a three-way uh, hook-up then, so you weren't part of the conversation. But uh... easy, easy, big fella. There's probably a better <laughs> technical way to explain that. Uh, Sorry, Brennan, if you're listening, um, yeah, nothing untoward happened. Uh, I, I can feel another uh, Mia Culpa episode coming on. Uh, prof, uh, but... Yeah, it was lovely. And as Peter did say, she is going to be on one of our panels in the Crime Malt Trade Hub uh, talking about skills and development in the uh, craft beer industry. Yeah, looking forward to so it. Looking forward to getting in, having a beer with her. Uh, Prof, what's up? What's coming up for you this week? Uh, what have we got? Uh, so the last weekend before lots of busy weekends. So probably spending a little bit of family time and cooking a roast and enjoying some nice beers to myself while I can because the, the next few weeks will be a bit of a blur a flurry of, of different beers and obviously you know, over 180, 200 beers, I think, maybe at Gab's this year. I'm obviously not going to try to get through them all, as you know, you would be mad to. But um, uh, with the, the various panels that we've got, the Brew and Ales, Q and Ales, uh, with the brewers, they bring along their beers and uh, a, a lot of fun to be had, so looking forward to that. And if I can, I just a quick shout-out. I went to the Crafty Pint, did a bit of a, a brand relaunch on Friday night, had a bit of an industry night for us, and I went along representing Brews News. So a new new look website and a new a brand new logo for Crafty. So hello to James Smith. And I did bump in too. A bloke came up and said, ah, so you've you know, you kept the weight off. I said, yeah, yeah, no, all going well. And it was uh, Damien Renahan who uh, joined us as a producer, mm. I think, a couple of weeks ago now. And we gave him a bit of a shout out. And he has just completed his first 10-week man challenge and feeling magnificent for it. So I'm more than happy to have inspired him Absolutely to do that. Did. So I said I'd give him a, a bit of a shout out. Awesome. Well, as you said, whilst people said that that's what we look like uh, when we posted the photo of us, <laughs> you don't look like that anymore. So we, while you, James, and I are together uh, in Good Beer Week, we're going to have to get a team photo, I think. We, we shall. Of how we play a, currently play a, play uh, a profile. Yeah. 
But things are about to get very busy. I was just sort of looking at that myself. We've got a good beer week. I have to leave Gabs on Friday night because I'm coming back and hosting a couple of tastings at a regional food festival up in Brisbane with Paul West and others, uh, which is the Hampton Food Festival just out of Toowoomba. And then uh, not long after that, uh, June's relatively quiet, but then we've got July and then August, which uh, is when you and I get the band back together at the exhibition. So things start getting uh, crazy from here on. So uh, That's right. That'll be straight off the back of uh, the Craft Brewers Conference. Craft Brewers Conference in, in July, of course, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot happening. So we'll have to uh, sort of sit down and plan. And I've just had a text while we've been talking. James Atkinson will be filing another interview where he interviewed John Keeling, who is the 36-year veteran of Fuller's and director of... Oh, Fuller's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's a record... While we've been speaking to Peter Fielding, he's been speaking to John Keeling. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to have some great interviews. Terrific. Hi, John. I was lucky as a steward, looked after his table a couple of times. And yeah, very, very good bloke to have a beer with. Sounds like James got to. So anyway, Prof, uh, no cards or letters this week. Mate, the traffic to the podcast is increasing. So everyone's out there, but no one has anything to say on iTunes where you can help people find the podcast. The more reviews we get, the higher up we'll pop in the search order for, for iTunes and you can help us out. If you want to help us out in a more monetary way, you can become a producer of the podcast. Just go to the website and for $10 a month, you can become an executive producer. For $5 a month, you can become a producer or you can just make a one-off donation to help us keep the podcast going. You can join the discussion because beer is a conversation and you can join that conversation on the Facebook page or send an email that will be read out on the next episode to producer at brewsnews.com.au. If you're going to be in Melbourne for Good Beer Week, please come along and you can be part of the taping of three episodes as we have our three discussion panels. And Prof, I might even give away a couple of tickets to the panels. So the first five people to email producer at brewsnews.com.au with Count Me In in the headline uh, will give you a free pass to the Christ malt trade hub so you can come along have a couple of beers try the new beers from goose island um, sierra nevada and listen to some of the best conversation of good beer week apart from that prof i think that's about all of the formalities we need to do yep that'll do us all good and uh now I, i was just saying to freya beforehand that we probably need given that in two weeks time we're going to be knee deep in good beer week we probably need to do two episodes next week but james is just taking care of one of those so we'll have one episode next week and we'll be all ready for the two weeks after that so mate looking really looking forward to chatting with you again next week but more importantly having uh hopefully a beer or two with you in melbourne in two weeks time done see you then see you listeners talk to you soon prof cheers And we're out.